Amen. Would you remain standing as we go to the text from which my assignment comes today, Acts chapter number 27. I'm going to begin in verse 21, and the verses will go up on the screen behind me for those of you that don't have your Bible with you and are bad Christians. Just kidding. Acts chapter 27, verse 21 says, But after a long abstinence from food, then Paul stood in the midst of them, and he said, Men, you should have listened to me. And not have sailed from Crete and incurred this disaster and loss. I like what the Apostle Paul said. He said, I told you so. How many of you always wish that, t- that you could tell somebody that you wanted to, you know? You wanted to, I told you so. You should have listened. I tried to warn you, but you made the mistake anyway. And by the way, is there anybody in here that's been warned but made the mistake anyway? Can you say amen? I mean, warned by your friends, made the mistake anyway. Warned by your family, made the mistake anyway. Warned by your boss, made the mistake anyway. Warned by God, made the mistake anyway. We're all part of the warned but made the mistake anyway club. And the Apostle Paul says, I warned you. I told you you shouldn't have sailed. Uh, If you would have stayed behind, if you would have waited for the storm to blow over, you wouldn't have suffered the loss. I warned you, but you did it anyway. And then verse 22, he says, and now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you but only of the ship. He says, I've got good news for you, and I've got bad news for you. Your mistake is not going to be fatal, although there's going to be some damage. You're going to feel it, but you're going to be fine. You're going to hurt, but eventually you're going to get healed. You're going to swim in the sea with the sharks, but you're going to make it to shore. And then he says this, for there stood by me this night an angel of the Lord, to whom I belong and to whom I serve, saying, don't be afraid, Paul. You must be brought before Caesar. And indeed, God has granted you all those who are sailing with you. Therefore, take heart, men, for I believe, God, that it will be just as it was told me. However, we must run aground on a certain island. Here's what else he says. He goes, you better be glad I'm on your boat. Another man. Paul is so funny, right? He's like, I told you so, and the only reason why y'all are going to live through this is because I'm on your boat. But how many of you know the people that are on your boat when you go through the storms in life matter? It matters whether you make it through or it matters whether you get sunk in life. So get the right people around you. But today, what I want to minister to you on is a subject that I think is the overwhelming theme in this passage of Scripture. And Paul is basically telling them, you made a mistake, but it's not really a mistake It's a miracle in the making. And that's what I want to minister to you on this morning. It's not a mistake. It's a miracle in the making. I believe that's a word for so many people who are here. So many of you are watching from wherever you're watching from. It's a mistake, but it's a miracle in the making. And so let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, would you speak to our hearts? Would you make this word real to us? And would you encourage us? Today we come to you as self-confessed mistake makers. But we remind ourselves that you are an undeniable miracle worker. And so we humbly ask that you would take our mistakes and turn them into miracles. And everybody who agreed with that prayer said, you may be seated. Paul is an inmate on a virtual prison ship. He is on his way to Rome um, as a prisoner to appear before Caesar. And the way that he's, the reason why he's on his way to Rome to appear before Caesar as a prisoner is because in Caesarea, where Paul was, he didn't get a fair trial. He was brought in on trumped up charges, and the charges were that he defiled the temple. And the way that he defiled the temple was that he brought Gentiles into the temple. In Bible times, if you were Jewish, you were not allowed to bring Gentiles into the temple. Sort of like how some people feel about certain kinds of people coming to church, right? 
Everybody kind of feels like, well, you know, there's some people who can come to church, but some people, you know, if they come to church, it defiles the church. And different people have different views of who should come to church and who shouldn't come to church. That's why I loved the royal wedding yesterday. Didn't you love that? Isn't that amazing? And that everybody in church all at the same time. And by the way, did you see all the white people when the bishop was preaching? They were like, they, they didn't know what to do with themselves, right? <laughs> I was like, go ahead, Bishop, preach. I was hoping P Prince Charles was going to take out a hanky and just, just start waving the preacher down, you know, and he didn't do it. But, you know, they, Paul was brought up on these charges, and he was brought up on these charges because he brought Gentile people into church. And, and the charge was if you did that, it was, it was punishable by death. And so he was brought in for interrogation and all sorts of different things. And uh, he stood before all of the kings and he stood before Festus and King Agrippa and he couldn't get a fair trial. And so he used his rights as a Roman citizen to appeal to a higher authority and that was Caesar. And by the way, as a Christian, you ought to know your rights as a child of God. Because so many times when things happen in life, sometimes you have to appeal to a higher authority based on your rights. And as a child of God, you're an heir and a joint heir with Jesus Christ. And you have some rights that you can and appeal before the throne room of God for God to intervene on. But if you don't know what those rights are, then you have nothing to appeal to. And so learn what belongs to you as a child of God. And so Paul is going to go before um, go to before Caesar and he's going to appeal his case. And, and this might not sound like much to us because, you know, he's a prisoner. But to Paul, he's not looking at this through the eyes of being a prisoner. He's looking at this through the eyes of being a preacher. And from his perspective, he's going to go before Caesar and he's going to get to preach before Caesar. Caesar is the most powerful man on the earth at the time. And so Paul is looking at this like, I'm going to go before Caesar. He's dreaming hard. He's, I'm, I'm going to preach the most powerful sermon that I have ever preached. And God is going to convict the heart of Caesar. And when he convicts the heart of Caesar and he's touched by the gospel, Caesar is going to become a follower of Jesus. And when Caesar becomes a follower of Jesus, I mean, think of how it's going to affect our world. Paul is thinking it's going to make it so that the gospel can be preached without persecution. And, and the gospel is going to be able to change lives and no more nobody's going to have to worry about who goes to church where it is going to be amazing and he's got this dream it's got all sorts of divine details in it he knows exactly how it's going to go down have you ever dreamed like that you know maybe maybe for you is when you were in college and about ready to get out of college maybe that's you right now and now everybody dreams when they're in college you're going to graduate college and you're going to get a six-figure income right that's everybody's dream when they get out of college like people are going to be lining up to pay you all that money just because you're just so great right and so you have this dream in your mind six-figure income and you're going to meet the perfect person you're going to have this amazing wedding maybe it's going to be on a beach somewhere beautiful white dress handsome tux whatever the thing is going to be and then because you got so much money and you had this beautiful wedding you're going to buy this big giant house with a three-car garage. It's going to have a white picket fence around it. You're going to have a golden retriever in the backyard. You're going to have 2.3 kids. They are going to be perfect kids. They're always going to say, yes, ma'am, and thank you, and yes, sir. And then those kids, they're never going to post anything that they shouldn't post on social media. Nothing on Snapchat where it can disappear so that you don't see it. They're never going to do anything like that. This is your picture-perfect life. How many of you know that life doesn't always turn out the way that we've dreamed? Storms come and they interrupt life and we make mistakes and that interrupts life and so Paul has this perfect dream for how things are going to go but Paul is on this boat and this boat 
after he's dreaming all this stuff, all of a sudden out of nowhere, encounters this tumultuous storm. And the ship begins to get tossed from side to side. And it looks like it's going to be a lot of trouble. And, and sure enough, the captain, the pilot of the ship, he is able to see this little port there. And he pulls into it. It was called Fair Havens. And they're able to rest there for a moment. And as they're resting there for a moment, they haven't reached Rome yet. The captain is assessing everything to find out whether they have the ability to sail to Rome again. And he's looking at it. And he's testing his instruments and all of that kind of stuff. And he says, okay we can go off and we can go to Rome. And Paul says, hold on a second. The pilot says, it's okay. But the preacher says, hold on a second. I heard something from God. God appeared to me. God spoke to me. And God said that we ought to wait it out here because if we go on and we go ahead and, and try to muscle through this storm and get to Rome and make our time schedule, that there's going to be loss of the ship and it's going to, it's going to affect, it's going to threaten our lives. And so they have this choice between the pilot and the preacher and... Sure enough, they choose the pilot. And I would have done the same thing, even though I'm a preacher, right? I want to go with the guy who's the expert on the matter. And they, they, so they go with the pilot of the ship, and they, and they go out there, and they're, they're at sea again. And sure enough, exactly what Paul said was going to happen, happened. And they get in a bigger storm, this storm. And the storm is so tumultuous that they're throwing stuff overboard. As a matter of fact, they have to make it to land. And so they put up the sail, and they, they see this island. It was called the Island of Malta. And they go full-fledged as fast as they can to get to their island. And the ship breaks in two, and they all find themselves in the ocean, doggy paddling on their way to shore. And that's where Paul says, I told you you should have listened to me. By the way, whenever it's a decision between listening to a pilot or a preacher... Guess what you always should do? Listen to the preacher. Matter of fact, everything in life. Here's my thing. Listen to the preacher. You come to church and you hear something that you don't agree with. Listen to the preacher. I'm not getting no love over here. Listen to the preacher. Matter of fact, would you help me with this? Everybody say it with me. Listen to the preacher. Paul says, I shoot, you should, you should have listened to me. I told you so. I told you. This was a big, fat, massive mistake. It was a gigantic, ginormous, idiotic, stupid, moronic, imbecilic mistake that could have been avoided. You should have listened to me. What do you do when you don't listen? When you've been warned, you make the mistake anyway, and you find yourself in a mess. How do you get through those times in life? Well, you need to realize that even though you made a mistake, even though you and I are, are, are mistake prone, that God is miracle prone. We need to realize that God has a way of fixing our failures. And even though we screw up, God can always still show up in our lives. And so I want to show you how God takes our mistakes and he turns them into miracles in life. And I want to give you a couple of keys. The first way that God does this, number one, is he speaks to our heart. Remember what happened to Paul in our text? He said, last night, an angel of the Lord appeared to me, whom I serve and to whom I belong. And he said to me, Paul, he said, don't be worried. Don't be concerned about this situation. You still have to go to Caesar to preach. And by the way, one of the things that will protect you through life storms is if you are sold out to your purpose. When God has a purpose for your life and you're committed to that, no matter what storms come against you, your purpose will take you through every particular storm. He says, you still got to go and you still got to preach before Caesar. And he says, and tell everybody that even though the ship is going to be lost, even though the ship literally is going to be broken in two and you're going to have to doggy paddle your way to shore, tell everybody that it's going to be okay. No life is going to be lost. And so the angel of the Lord, God speaks to Paul's heart. He spoke to Paul. And he told Paul things like, it's going to be hard, but it's going to be all right. He said to Paul, it looks like a period, 
but it's only a comma. He said to Paul, this detour is not the end of your destiny. He spoke to my heart, Paul is saying, I'm petrified on the outside, but I'm at peace on the inside. He spoke to my heart and he told me that failure is not final because God is not finished with me. He spoke to my heart and told me that my mistake is not the end, but it's a miracle in the making. He promised that my my purpose still stands. I got a word from God and when God speaks to our hearts, no matter what the storm is in life, that God will come through on his word. He watches over his word, waiting to perform it in our lives. When you're going through a storm in life, you need to get a word from God. You need to let God speak to your heart because that word has the power to carry you through the storms. And, and so here they are, and they're in this boat, and everything's going wrong, and they're throwing everything overboard, and they hoist the sail, and they go through towards land at this island of, of Malta, and the ship hits a sandbar, and the back of the ship and the front of the ship meet. It snaps in two, and they're in the water, and some can swim the shore, but some all they can do is hold on to planks. But here's what I love about that. It's symbolic. Because when you're going through a storm in life, when you've made a mistake and it's created a mess, you know what you need to do? You need to hold on to whatever will keep you afloat. And the greatest thing in all the world that you can hold on to is the word that God has spoken to your heart. And that's what I love about God, that even when we've made mistakes, and even when we're going through storms in life, that God is faithful to speak to our hearts and give us something to hold on to. And if you will hold on to the word that God has spoken to your heart, that you hear in your spirit, it will have the power to carry you through the shark-infested sea waters to the safety of the shores of solid land. And God wants to give you that word to give you confidence confidence, not in the circumstances, but in what he said. God wants to give you a word so that you'll have hope even in the middle of hopeless situations. And you need to hold on to that word that God has given you because it's that powerful. God's word really, really works in our lives. And that's why I love that song that we sing sometimes. It says, word of God, speak. Would you pour down like rain, washing my eyes to see your majesty, to be still and know that you're in this place. Please let me stay and rest. In your holiness, word of God, speak. Ephesians puts it like this when it talks about the power of the word of God to carry us through. Whatever mistake and whatever storm we're going through, Ephesians says it like this in chapter number 6, verse number 13. It says, when you've done all to stand, when, you, when you've muscled up, when you've worked up all of your willpower, when you've done all to stand, it says, stand therefore. It doesn't mean keep staying with willpower. It says, stand therefore with your loins gird about with truth. Your loins are the most delicate part of your body, right? And he's saying, here's what the Word of God will do. It will protect you during delicate times because the truth that he tells us to put around our loins is nothing but the Word of God. We need a word from God. We need a truth that defies our circumstances, a truth that will stand up in the midst of our mistakes and in the midst of life's storms and take us through the storms. And that truth is the Word of God. And you've got to hold on to that no matter what you your situation looks like, no matter how bad your mess may be because of the mistake that you made. Hold on to that because God can still turn your mistake into a miracle. Second thing I want to give you this morning is that the way God turns our mistakes into miracles is he asks us to be led by the Spirit instead of by our senses. I love the fact that the choice was between the pilot and the preacher. And we know that you're always supposed to listen to the that wasn't very good. You're always supposed to, I want to make sure you get this, listen to the preacher. If the preacher says give a million dollars, you're supposed to listen to the preacher. I like that. That was good. <laughs> and so the choice is between the pilot and the preacher, right? 
And so, you know, it's natural to go with the pilot. I mean, he has checked all the nautical instruments out. He, is, he saw that the boat is in okay shape before they went out there again. He knows he has experience in the area. He's able to read the weather and read the skies and read the seas. And so he says, based on my expertise and all my years of experience and what the instruments say, everything that my senses are telling me, it's okay to go forward. But the preacher was hearing from the Spirit. And so the choice was, should I listen to what the Spirit is saying or should I listen to what the senses are saying? And in life, we have this delicate balance Do we choose to go by our senses or do we go by what the Spirit is saying? And the ability to manage the tension between what the Spirit is saying and what our senses are saying has everything to do with whether we make it through our mistakes in life or we don't. And so here's what we need to understand about this faith walk, this this walk that God has given us. It's not supposed to make sense all the time. You know, a lot of times we think, you know, well, as Christians, everything is supposed to make sense. Or it's just as people, everything is supposed to make sense. But the faith walk is not always supposed to make sense. Elijah, throw water on that wood before you call down fire from heaven. That doesn't make any sense. Old Abraham and seasoned Sarah, I'm going to give you a baby when you hit the century mark. That doesn't make sense. Widow woman of Zarephath, I want you to give your last meal to the man of God during a famine, and then God will sustain you. That doesn't make sense. Joshua, I want you to walk around these walls for seven days, one time each day. But on the seventh day, walk around it seven times. On the seventh time, give a shout, and when you give Give a shout, those walls will come come down. That doesn't make sense. David, I want you to go out and I want you to defeat Goliath with five smooth stones and a slingshot. That doesn't make sense. Esther, I want you to go before the king unannounced and plead for the Jewish people. That doesn't make sense. Joseph, the path to the palace is through the prison. That doesn't make sense. Mary, you're going to give birth to the to Messiah without a man's seed. That doesn't make sense. Love your enemies. That doesn't make sense. Do good to those who despitefully use you. That doesn't make sense. Give and it will be given back to you. That doesn't make sense. The faith walk is not supposed to make sense. One plus one doesn't always add up to two. And matter of fact, if you continue to live by your senses, you'll eventually stop walking by faith. And if you stop walking by faith, you'll never experience the fullness of what God has for you. Because our senses always deter us from where the Spirit of God is leading us. Have you ever noticed that? God will encourage you. God will be prompting you to do something. And then you'll kind of try to reason it out. Oh, well, if I do that, I'm going to be stupid. You know, God will say, I want you to go over and, you know, uh, encourage this person. Well, God, I don't even know that person over there. If I go over and encourage them, they're going to think I'm weird. And all of a sudden, you start reasoning it, right? And you look at the person, they don't look like they need any encouragement. And so you let what you see, you let your senses discourage you from doing what the Spirit is leading us to do. And you never live the life that God has designed for you. Listen to what God tells us to live by. Romans chapter 8, verse number 14 says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the children of God. We've got to be led by the Spirit of God. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 27 says, The Spirit of man is the candle of the Lord, searching all the inner depths of his heart. In other words, this our spirit, where God speaks, is the lamp. It's the light. It's the illumination of where God speaks to our lives and directs our lives. And then I love this verse. John chapter number 16, verse number 13 says this, But when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. And the word guide here literally describes a tour guide. When anybody travels on vacation, does anybody ever use a tour guide? You know, maybe the first time you've gone on vacation. If you're like me, you don't, you know, because you hate tours, you know. And you go to the tour guides, they take you to, like, all these things, and they, they speak about them for, like, 
30 minutes each. And it's like a picture. And I'm like, oh, nice picture. Can I see the next one? You know? and, and the tour guide is like, I want you to know this, and I want you to know this. And I, I would hate to go with a tour guide through Rome or through Italy. I'm going to go to Italy, and I'm not taking a tour guide. Because I just want to look and go, oh, yeah, that's nice. I want to see the next thing. Oh, yeah, that's nice. Where we eat. Let's sit down and have some good Italian food right here. That's why I'm going, right? But, but the tour guides can be helpful. And so just let's pretend that everybody uses tour guides. And you're in a foreign land, and you don't know how to get around, and so you hook up with a tour guide. But you have ways. For those of you that don't know who, what Waze is, Waze is the, the best navigation system that you can have, okay? Let's just call it what it is. It, it kind of predicts traffic, and it tells you how to reroute you and all this kind of stuff. And so let's pretend you're on this tour guide, and, you know, the tour guide is taking you to see this must-see site, and Waze is telling you to go this way, and the tour guide is taking you that way. And so you act like a know-it-all, and you're like, yeah, but that's not what Waze says. And the tour guide goes, yeah, you could go that way. They indulge you because, you know... What are they going to do? They told you, well, you could go that way. But if you go that way, that's the shady part of town. And that's the part of town where people are known to get mugged. And so you could go that way, and it could be faster. But if we go this way, it's going to take us 10 minutes more, but it's going to be a lot safer. And this is what God, this is what the Holy Spirit is to our lives. This is how he leads us. He doesn't always lead us the fastest way or what seems to be the right way, but he always leads us the best way. And so God is saying to us, when we make a mistake, if you're going to recover from your mistake, you can't go by what it looks like. Because how many of you know it doesn't look good when you make a mistake, right? When you make a mistake, it always looks bad. It's a mess. It's like, how am I ever going to get out of this? You look around, it looks like all hope is lost. Matter of fact, that's exactly what happened when they were on the ship. It said they finally gave in to the fact that all hope of them being saved was lost. What do you do when all hope of having your situation being turned around is lost. You don't rely on your senses anymore. You rely on how the Spirit of God is leading you. I remember there was a time in my life and many times in my life when I ignored the Holy Spirit. Has anybody else ever done that, just ignored the Holy Spirit? Come on, I need some help right now. How many has ignored the Holy Spirit? Because I don't want to feel like the only jerk in the room, right? I've done this before many times. The first time that I remember doing it, or actually the time that I remember doing it, not the first time, but the time I remember doing it, was when I was writing my first book. And I was looking for a book deal. And I was putting it out there and putting it out there and putting it out there. And years and years and years. And, and I keep hearing the same answer. No, no, not interested. No, no, not interested. No, no. And finally I got a yes. After years. And the yes was, we'll publish your book, but you got to buy back 10,000 author copies. And all I heard was, we'll publish your book. How many of you know that all you ever want to hear is what you want to hear? That's why it's so important to listen to the I just want to make sure you all still got that. That's something, if you get nothing else out of this message, the one takeaway that you should get is always listen to the That's really not the only takeaway, but you get it. It's just fun. Anyway, so all I heard was, we'll publish your book. And I get the contract, and it's before me, and the cost of those 10,000 copies is $25,000. And the Holy Spirit says, don't sign that contract. I have something better for you. And I was like, well, if you wanted something better for me, all these years of me trying to get a book deal, I would have gotten a book deal. And I didn't get a book deal all these years. And now I finally have somebody that wants to publish my book. And so I just signed, cut the check for $25,000, sent it in. I'm thinking, oh, God, what did I just do? Two weeks later, this lady drives by the church. She pulls in. She enjoys the service. After the service is over, she asks if she could speak to me. I'm in the lobby. She says to me, I'm a Pulitzer Prize winning uh, writer for the New Yorker magazine. I would love to do an article on you and the church. I said, hey, all right, let's do it. And so she writes the article. One week after the article is released, I get a call from an agent I never heard of before. They said, we'd like to be your literary agent and get you book deals. I said, 
You can try, but I was, I was looking for like a whole year, uh, several years to get book deals, and I couldn't get one. She said, give me a week. A week goes by. She brings me five deals, and the highest deal was for them to give me a six-figure advance. And the Holy Spirit said, I told you I had something better, than you, better for you, dummy. Listen to the Holy Spirit. When you don't listen to the Holy Spirit, when you don't let the Holy Spirit lead you, it'll cost you. Now, I still got the six-figure book deal, which was wonderful, but it cost me $25,000 that I didn't have to pay. And so God turned my mistake into a miracle. In other words, I kept my life, but I lost the boat. Paul said there's going to be no loss of life, but the boat's going to be messed up. When we don't listen to the Holy Spirit... It cost us in life. And so God asks us when we make mistakes and we're looking to get out of that mistake to be led by the Spirit and not by our senses. The third thing I want to share with you is he encourages us to look at the right stuff. Remember what Paul said? He said, saved lives, lost boat. He said, everything's going to be okay. We're all going to make it to shore. Nobody's going to lose their lives except our safety. Our security, the thing that we were riding in, the thing that we were relying on, it's going down. And isn't that the way life always is? Life is always full of good news and bad news at the same time. It's full of good things happening and bad things happening at the same time. And here's really what God is saying to through the Apostle Paul to them at the time and to us. He's saying, you have a choice. You can focus on the lost boat or you can focus on the saved lives. You can focus on the good things or you can focus on the bad things. And whether you make it through your mistakes has everything to do with what you focus on. And so I want to give you a couple other things. Not only focus on the good things and not the bad things, but also focus on the God wills and not the what ifs. Focus on the God wills and not the what ifs. Not what if I should, what if I would have listened, but God will make all things new. Not what if I would not have been so stubborn, but God will work all things together for my good. Not what if I had made better choices, but God will give me beauty for my ashes. Not what if I could go back and do it all over again, but God will still bring his purpose to bear in my life. Not what if I didn't make that mistake, but God will turn my mistake into a miracle. Don't focus on the what ifs. Focus on the God wills because God doesn't change even though you and I have made mistakes. Even though we are mistake prone, God is still miracle prone. Focus on not the what ifs, but focus on the God wills. One more thing to focus on. Focus on the what's and not the why's. Focus on the what's and not the why's. When you and I make mistakes, what do we do all the time? We ask why. Why did this happen to me? Why was I so stupid? Why couldn't I listen? Why didn't God stop me? Why didn't God ward me? Why did God allow this? Why, 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 Sounds like you're crying after you say why so many times, right? All the why in. And here's what I believe about why. I believe if there's no quick answer to why, they need to move on from why. Because if you stay in why, you'll die. Asking why for too long causes you to remain stuck in your situation. So eventually you have to move on from the why and you have to begin to ask the what. Let me give you an example so you'll understand this. You remember the story in John chapter 9 of Jesus um, and his disciples and the man born blind? It's a man born blind. The disciples saw it and they said this to Jesus. Who sinned that this man was born blind? His parents or him? They were kind of like Christians, you know, think everything is the result of sin. You know, if you sin, this is going to happen. 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 And, and, and that's not always cause and effect, right? And so they're looking for the why. Jesus, tell us the why. Listen to what Jesus says in John chapter number 9, beginning in verse 3. 
He says, you're asking the wrong question. You're looking for someone to blame. There's no such cause and effect here. Look instead for what God can do. In other words, stop asking why and stop looking at the what. Okay, you made a mistake. Now what is God going to do in your life as a result of the mistake? Okay, you went to prison. Maybe now your what is you're going to minister to people in prison. Okay, so you went through a difficult time, maybe a loss. Now your what is maybe you're going to help somebody else deal with their grief. Okay, so you know what? You had this miserable marriage, but maybe now your what is to teach people how to have a good marriage. You need to stop focusing on the why and start focusing on the what because if you stay in the why, you'll die in the why. But if you look to the what, God will do better things in your life. You need to change your focus. And so what he's speaking to this crew that's going through a ship right now is he's telling them, he said, we need to shift our focus. We need to look at the right stuff. And I believe that God, I learned this about God, he doesn't parent like we parent. You know, if you read all the parenting manuals today, they get, they get worse and worse and worse, by the way. You know, if you want to read a good parenting manual, get an old school one. Get some, something from like the 1920s, 30s. You know, that's, that's when you need, you need some good old school teaching. Some of you older ladies, we need to know how to parent better because the stuff that's being thrown out there today for parents is terrible. Okay? So anyway, I found out that God doesn't parent like we parent. You know, when your kid asks you why, 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 you know what the best answer sometimes is? Allow the spirit of Darth Vader to get on you and go, cause out your father. That's the best answer that you can give sometimes. And here's what, here's what you mean by that. I wouldn't be asking you if it wasn't for your good. I wouldn't be telling you not to do it if it wasn't for your good. In other words, you don't always have to understand the why. All you need to know is that as your parent, I have your best interest at mind. And here's what I found out about God. I found out that God doesn't always answer our why. Jesus didn't answer the disciples' why. He said, you're asking the wrong question. I'm not giving you an answer. But I'm going to tell you to start looking at what God can do in this situation. What's he saying? Believe that God is still the same. Have faith that he hasn't changed despite your mistakes. Have faith that God still loves you despite your mistakes. Have faith that he still wants good things for your life despite your mistakes. Have faith that he can take your broken road and turn it into a blessed road. Have faith in God. Have faith that he is your father, wants good things for you. He's saying this, I'm good even when things look bad. I'm faithful even when things, even when you're faithless. I'm on time even when it looks like I'm late. I'm there even when it looks like I'm not. I have a plan even when it looks like I don't. I'm for you even when it looks like everybody is against you. I'm able when it looks impossible and I'm able to take mistakes and turn them into miracles. Focus on the right stuff. That's how you see God make a miracle out of your mistake. The last and final thing I want to give you this morning is that the way God turns our mistakes into miracles is he invites us to see adversity as the breeding ground for God-portunity. Let me say the word again. He invites us to see adversity as the breeding ground for God-portunity. By the way, that's my word. I coined it. If I see it in the Urban Dictionary and my name is not next to it, I'm coming after somebody, okay? A God opportunity is when God takes a situation that is adverse, that doesn't look like a situation where there should be an opportunity and gives you an opportunity from adversity. That's a God opportunity. And here's what God invites us to do when we make mistakes is to see the adversity as an opportunity for God opportunity. Paul has come through a shipwreck. 
He has made it safely to the shore as he held on to a plank. The trip to Rome to go before Caesar has not gone has not gone the way that he thought it should. His dream hasn't unfolded the way he envisioned it in his mind, but now his life has been spared, and he's on this island called Malta. And you know what Malta means? It means refuge. I don't know how you feel about this, but I love the fact that after we make mistakes and the mess that goes along with it, that God gives us those seasons of refuge before we have to move on again. Thank God for seasons of rest. Matter of fact, if if you've been just beaten up by life, you know what you need to do? You need to take some R&R. And by the way, that doesn't mean a rest from God. The one thing you never take a rest from is God. Because you know what God is? God is our rest. He is our refuge. He is our hiding place. That's how we get recharged. We don't take a rest from God. We take a rest from all the other stuff in life. And so he gives them this, this refuge on this island called Malta. And Paul doggy paddles his way into shore on a plank, and he finally can't believe this has happened. And he gets up, and he's on the safety of shore. He looks up, and there are these, these strange people waiting for him. And the Bible says that the island was inhabited by barbarians. And you got to think, Paul is thinking, oh, no, oh, no, oh, no. Life has just gone from bad to worse. But the barbarians showed him unusual kindness. Matter of fact, they showed him favor, and they called him over. They said, we're going to make a fire here so you can warm yourself. And there was this big pile of wood there. And so Paul, being the servant that he was, he said, well, let me get some wood and help. And he reaches into the wood. And when he reaches into the wood, there was a viper hiding in the wood. And it jumped out of the wood, and it fastened itself to the hand of Paul. By the way, be careful at what's hiding in the woods. Bigfoot lurks in the woods. Your adversary, the Bible says, the devil, roams around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. So it tells us be vigilant and be sober. In other words, be on your guard. Always be looking. Always be, always be ready spiritually for what may, may come your way. And this viper, he lashes on, latches on to the apostle Paul's hand. And when he latches on to the hand, all the barbarians look at him. And you know what they say? He's a murderer. He escaped the sea, but justice won't let him get away unscathed. They reacted like church folks. You ever get around church folks when something goes wrong in your life? You've got sin in your life. Oh, the reason why you went through that divorce is because you've got sin in your life. The reason why your finances are down is because you've got sin in your life. The reason why you got that disease is because you got sin in your life. God is paying you back. How many of you know that sometimes the reason why stuff happens is because you're on your way to Rome to preach to Caesar and the enemy tries to get in the way. And so you need to just keep going. And when it looks like you're about to take a step backward. You need to keep charging forward. And so they look at Paul, and Paul is bit in plain sight for everybody to see. Can I tell you that sometimes God wants you to get bit in plain sight so everybody can watch and see what your life is really made of. Because whether you think it or not, every time you told them about Jesus, even if they didn't receive it, they say, well, let me watch you and see if Jesus really makes a difference. And so when you get bit in plain sight for everybody to see, I want you to know that it's an opportunity. It's a god opportunity to take that adversity and use it for God's glory. And so they're watching Paul, and they're watching Paul. And Well, when everybody is looking at him, he's been bit, and it looks like he's going to go down. They're seeing if he's going to swell. You know what Paul does? Paul doesn't quit. 
He doesn't throw in the towel. He doesn't have a pity party. He doesn't give up on God. You know what the Bible says Paul did? He shook it off. Can I tell you what God's word to some of you right now is? Don't let the snake bite steal your joy. Shake it off. Don't let it interfere with your marriage. Shake it off. Don't let it change who you are. Shake it off. Don't let it get in the way of your relationship with God. Shake it off. Don't let it cause you to turn to a vice. Shake it off. Shake that thing off and keep moving for God. Why? Listen to me. If you don't shake it off, Satan wins. Here's what I've determined in my life. And I hope by God's grace, I'll always have this outlook that no matter what happens, I'm going to shake it off because I don't want Satan to win. I have this obsession with winning. I hate to lose. That's why the motto of our church is, with Jesus, you are. No matter what happens to you in life, even when you're down, it's just a matter of time before you're on your way up. Jesus is on your side. And if God be for you, who can be against you? Don't stay down long. Shake that thing off and get back up and keep moving for God. And so Paul, Paul shakes it off, and they're watching Paul, and they see that he doesn't swell up. And now that he doesn't swell up after many hours, they change their tune about Paul, and they called him a murderer before, but now they say, he's a god. And this is why you cannot live your life for people. When you live your life for people, do you know what happens? One minute they're up and on your side. The next minute they're down and against you. One minute it's Hosanna. The next minute it's crucify him. That's why you've got to live your life for an audience of one. And the person that you have to please is God Almighty. How does this affect what God thinks about you? And so Paul shakes that thing off. They look at him. He doesn't swell up. And because he doesn't swell up, and because the snake bite, the poisonous snake bite, didn't have any effect on Paul, Paul gets invited to the house of the governor of the island. His name is Publius, unless you're looking for a kitty name to name your newly born child. Publius, I dare you. Go right ahead. Publius. And so he goes to the house of Publius, and when he gets to the house of Publius, Publius rolls out the red carpet for him and gives him a nice meal and a beautiful place to stay. And suddenly, Paul realize, realizes Publius has got a problem. And Publius's problem is that Publius's pops is sick. And so Paul, I think at this moment, suddenly realizes that what started out as a mistake may not have been a mistake at all. And all of a sudden, he looks at Publius and he says, can I go in and pray for your pop so we can get rid of his problem? That's funny. You know why? Because the Bible doesn't say it that way. I said it that way because all the P's. You get it? Always listen to the... There you go. You get it. And so anyway, so he says to Publius, he says, can I go in and can I pray for your pops? And sure enough, Paul goes in and he says, sure, go ahead. But there's nothing that we can do with him. He's going to die. And Publius, his pops, gets prayed for by the apostle Paul. And Publius, his pops' problem goes away. He gets healed. But that's not even the good part. The good part is that guess how God heals Publius's pops? With the same hand that the viper attached itself to. Now the hand that Satan tried to strike is the hand that God uses 
to elevate the Savior. Here's what I want you to understand. That when Satan strikes an area of your life, get ready for that area of your life to show forth the Savior. Look at my scars and see my Savior. Look at my health and see the healer. Look at my finances and see the provider. Every area that the enemy strikes in your life, God will use it to show forth your Savior. Get ready for God to do something big in your life. If you made a mistake, God's going to turn that into a miracle.